Welcome to another episode of the Art of Fulfillment podcast, a podcast all about what we're really searching for in life, which isn't money, it's not friends, it's not fame, it's not material things. While all those things definitely enhance the quality of our lives, what we're really searching for is fulfillment, or in other words, how we feel about ourselves when we're by ourselves. You see, in this podcast, what we do is we speak with people who are deeply fulfilled in their lives so that we can learn the tips, techniques, and strategies in order to create a more fulfilling life for ourselves. Because in the end of the day, we can be as externally successful as we can be, but it really means nothing if we don't have the internal success. So thank you for taking this journey with us, and let's dive into the episode. All right, guys, today's guest is a clinical director and senior clinician at the Northwest Anxiety Institute, whose mission is to help others break through anxiety, learn how to make choices based on preference as opposed to fear, and ultimately become more comfortable with the uncomfortable. He received his bachelor degree in psychology from Washington State University and his master's degree in counseling psychology at Pacific University. He also has certifications in treating OCD and hoarding disorder, and he is a master when it comes to exposure therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy. He has spoken at many national and local conferences on anxiety and has helped many, many people break through new heights in regards to managing their anxiety so they can live the most fulfilled versions of their lives. So please help me in welcoming Kevin Ashworth to the Art of Fulfillment. Thanks for coming on the show, Kevin. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. Of course. And, and you know, we were talking about this before the, sh- before the show started. We, you know, we think that that anxiety management is such a great thing to master in order to have a more fulfilling life because a lot of people, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll know what they want to do, or maybe they are just, you know, like to have a clear vision of essentially what they want to do in their lives. that's going to lead to fulfillment, but anxiety is the thing that holds them back. So, you know, essentially I think this whole conversation is really going to, going to help people be on the more fulfilled path by learning how to manage that anxiety and fear so they can break through. And so one of the coolest things about your background that, you know, I actually really love is that, you know, you battled with a severe anxiety disorder in grad school and now you're teaching people how to crush their own anxiety. So that's like a pretty awesome journey. So, you know, for, our listeners what were the kind of steps that you had to take in order to go from chronically stressed to someone who can not only manage their stress but can teach others to do the same thing yeah good question and i think there's a couple things that i'll clarify in there because it is a really important um function of or it's really important to understand how anxiety functions to understand how we get over anxiety so firstly Mm -hmm. i would just say I actually, I actually have never felt chronically stressed, but I developed an anxiety disorder and they're not synonymous. Mm. And what's interesting about that is, is I define stress and, and, you know, the literature defines stress as like a time limited, uh, events or situation that can outstrip our cognitive emotional capacity. Like I'm overworked, I'm overwhelmed and I have another task to do, or, uh, you know, I have to go to the in-laws this weekend and that's obnoxious (laughs) so i'm stressed about it right whatever it is but usually if there's a if you solve that problem the stress reduces and so if i if i finish the interview whether i'm successful or not the stress reduces if the date is over the stress reduces and that's what i mean by time limited Mm. we expect that we understand that um you know working to accomplish something creates a lot of stress and that that should although i don't like that word that can be expected to be quite reasonable 
Mm-hmm. Anxiety, on the other hand, is this future-oriented concern that is um, really arbitrary and has no possible solution because no concern has actually happened yet. And so we worry about things that nobody else can solve for us because the problem hasn't even got there yet. We've just thought about it ahead of time. And so, yeah, I love, you know, it's so true. I feel it every single day that I feel like I am helping people crush their own anxiety and never forget that I developed my own anxiety stuff while in grad school. Um, And so that was a really interesting experience. And and at the time, you know, we all suffer at various times in our life with, with self doubt. And for me, it, when I was in grad school and developed an anxiety disorder, I mean, that was it. I thought this is it. I'm done. Like, how can I help people in the field of psychology when I have now can't even manage my own shit. Um, Mm. and you know, unbeknownst to me at the time, it literally has become probably the most important and pivotal events in my life to help me do this in a way that I do it. So, you know, I have the education and the understanding and the theoretical knowledge and the research and all that good stuff. But when I sit with someone, and I say, you know, when you think this and that your body does that, and then you think that and they go, oh, yeah, you know, right. And you, can't, <laughs> you can't learn that. Right. Right. And so it, it's become one of my biggest assets is being able to understand how it functions and knowing what that feeling is um, when your brain tells you to make decisions based on anxiety over your um, over your preferences. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's so cool. I, I think it's so cool how you're able to like look at that experience and be like, wow, like, you know, if I didn't go through that experience, then I wouldn't have, you know, the knowledge to share. Because like you said, like you can, you know, you can read books, you can do all the research, but like you right. lived it, man. Like you can actually right. like connect with someone and be like, I know how you feel, like not just intelligently, but like from like a physiological and an experiential level, you know? Right. And with anxiety, that that does become helpful. It's always tricky in the field of psychology because you know what, what, what we're often teaching people also is I can be empathic with individuals without having to live their experience because I can also work with people that are children of divorce. My parents didn't divorce. I can work mm-hmm. with people that are addicted to drugs. I'm not addicted to drugs. I don't, I can work with people that were sexually assaulted. I have not been, I can, I can connect with those things. It just happens that that experience, that physiological experience of anxiety I very mm-hmm. deliberately share in my work that I do and not with everybody, just when I feel like it will be helpful um, to to make that connection, to let them know. And and most 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 of my patients will say, it, you know, once I'm describing the stuff that they're living with, you seem to know this really, really, really well. Some of that's a function of me having it. Um, and then some of it is obviously just when you do thousands of hours of therapy, you <laughs> you you really do hear the same thing over and over um, with different content, everybody's content's different, but their process of, of the experience is actually pretty, pretty similar. Yeah, definitely. And, and I thought it was really interesting when, when you talk about the process of their experience, that it's really just something that's more perception than, than evidence, you know, right? Like right. W- when you, when stress, when you have anxiety, it's this, this, this thing in your head that you're just kind of making up, jumping to conclusions. And, and right. I think you and I can both agree that, you know, the reason why stress happens is not necessarily because of the facts it's because of our perception of the facts right Absolutely. so so knowing that like how can people learn how to change their perceptions in a way that doesn't lead to you know overblown anxiety and one that maybe you know serves them or at least how can people learn how to manage it if right. you know they can't really necessarily change their perceptions easily i don't know how you you kind of look at that yeah well i mean the thing that i remind people or help people understand is 
In order to have an anxiety disorder, you have to have a few things. Um, and usually it's, you know, you've, the way that you're living your life has become distressing. And it's also become impairing, meaning you're not able to get a job or start the business or start the book you want to write or make the friend or ask the girl out or whatever it is. That That is a definition of impairment, right? Like I want to do that and there's something in me preventing me from doing that. So impairment and distress. But the other things that anxiety really have, um, all anxiety disorders in common, is this intolerance of feeling bad and then the intolerance of uncertainty. So, and, and not being able to tolerate uncertainty is paralyzing for people. And so once you require need, people say, I need, I need to know, like, I'll apply for the job if I know I'll get it. Well, no shit. Me too. Right. <laughs> but the intol the uncertainty of like being in there and not knowing that they think I'm good or bad or pretty or not, or that's too overwhelming. So because I won't ever know for sure, I'm not going to go. Or I was invited to a party and I don't know who's going to be there. So that makes me really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So how do we help people overcome that? It is helping them acknowledge patterns in their past. Like every time you're invited to do something, what's your initial response? I usually think about how I can get out of it. Okay. Then what? Uh, and then I usually tell somebody very politely, I've got other plans. Cool. And then how do you feel? Well, I feel better from an anxiety point of view because now I know I'm not going. But I feel pretty depressed and hopeless that I'm also not going. And uh-huh. And what do you do with that? Well, then I Netflix all night while well, I could have been out doing that one thing. Okay. And so that cycle gets stuck because what's so rewarding there is once you say no thank you, your anxiety goes, cool, thanks, man. We're good. <laughs> right. And that's so rewarding for the brain, right? Because it, it mitigates the anxiety. But, um, but then you're left with uncertainty because you feel like your anxiety is gone. Like you survived another day because you didn't endure the perceived criticism or threat, but you really just don't know because you didn't go only by going. Do you get evidence? So mm. how do you how do you change that perception? One way is you can challenge your thoughts, which some people have success with. You can ask yourself, well, what's the evidence in my life anybody's ever made fun of me? And most people can say, well, I know there's not a lot of evidence, but I feel really anxious. And what I ask people to do is just pay attention to the data. So if you worry that somebody's going to, you know, criticize you or judge you or poke fun at you in a social situation or if you spit while you talk or you mess up your words, people will care. Um, well then let's, let's test that out. Let's mm. go do that while being anxious. Cause we know you're anxious. I can't turn that off for you, but only when you engage in more behaviors that you learn that threat doesn't actually happen. Like danger doesn't ha anxiety happens, but danger doesn't happen. Mm. Then I can go, Oh, if I go to five parties this month, five social engagements, and nobody says anything that is overtly embarrassing to me, that's a ton of data. If I have one interaction on the street and I feel awkward about it and I use that as my data, I go, well, 100% of the time, I suck. <laughs> but with the five parties, even if people point at you and laugh 50% of the time, you have 50% data saying that that doesn't happen all the time. Mm. So it, it actually creates a new experience, both in the brain and through learning that we're okay. Right, right. And that's really interesting that you said that too, because I think a lot of people will be like, all right, like I'm, 
I'm going to try to do the thing that's scary to me, whether it's going to talk to the girl or, you know, they're, I don't know, they, they want to start a business or something. And then like the first time that they do it, they fail. Right. And they're right. like, well, and the brain's like, see, told you so. Right. But right. I love how you said when you do it over and over and over again, you, you tend to see what the reality is. Like, sure. You may like, I don't know, for the first three times go and ask that girl and she says no, but what if like that fourth time one says, yes, like I'll go out with you right. in the fifth time. Right. So, so would you like suggest like people just have like a like a, a a process or like a habit of just like you know continuously exposing themselves you know to the thing that's anxious just so not only they can get more data but will it actually help you know their anxiety about that thing in the long run? Well, what I'll say is you can't learn you can't learn anything by not behaving, right? So yeah. if I have a fear um, that. Uh, I will get in, an, in a car accident that will be devastating. Um, so if I have that fear, so I don't drive. So I don't drive and I haven't driven for a year. And I can tell you, I haven't been in a car accident unequivocally. I have certainty. Yet you do. So what, you, what people have to ask themselves is, do you put yourself at risk by getting in a car? Yes, you do. Mm-hmm. But is the risk mitigated or is the risk compared to the reward of your quality of life of being able to access places by a vehicle, mm-hmm. being able to get to things more efficiently, being able to go places with your friends or family? And so what we all do that drive or take the bus or fly a plane is we tolerate some level of uncertainty because we all know that accidents happen. They occur. We see them all the time. Mm-hmm. But but we, we are willing to take that risk. So repeated exposure to anxiety provoking things provides us with new data that the perception of threat is all that it most anxiety just feels like shit but it's not dangerous nobody's died of a panic attack right right but what we worry about is if i panic in a social situation i will look stupid uh-huh i you might but if you do that a hundred times and that only happens once you've got 99 experiences of not looking stupid and that's a right. lot of learning as well. So the way people get confused though, or where the where where people don't do it right is because many people will come to my clinic and say, I do exposure all day long. So if this exposure therapy worked, I would like I'm always in distress, which they are. That's their experience. Um, but they're not doing it vulnerably and open to the experience. So they're doing what we call mm-hmm. white knuckle it. So if I get in the car and I go, okay, I'm just using that same analogy. I'm just going to go to the store. I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to buy something. I'm going to, I'm going to get home. Okay. I'm, I'm a mile from home. I'm half a mile from home. Oh my God. I got out of the car. There's no learning that happens because the brain thinks the whole time, you're like super hyper vigilant, like you just made it out. And right. It could have been bad. So people do that socially, you know, they're like, fine, I'll show up to the event, the social event, the interview, whatever. And the whole time they're just watching the clock or they're while they're there, they're actually avoiding people and they're looking at their phone and they're doing all these things. And they'll say, I went, I was super anxious. Yeah, nobody made fun of me, but it never felt right. Mm-hmm. And they use their emotion as evidence, even though our emotions do all sorts of things that we have not a ton of control over. Right, right. And so how do we get to the process where we can uh, really be more vulnerable, like going into a situation? Because, um, you know, I, I think it takes like a lot of self-awareness and like a lot of um, consciousness in order to do that. So, you know, what do you, what do you tell people saying, okay, like, like I get what you're saying, but like, how do I actually like put that into process, you know, and be more vulnerable when I I embrace anxiety? So just behaviorally, you got to ask yourself, like, what are the things that I do, even though I engage, what other, we call them safety behaviors. So what other measures do I put in place that mitigate the risk? So, Mm. In the driving example or in the social example, I might say, I'll do social things, but I'll do them with my best friend. 
um, or I'll do them on Friday, the day after I get my hair done, or I'll do them on whatever, right? Like I'll do them when I'm drinking, right? People, that's a big thing, right? A social lubricant, like I'll have two cocktails before I show up and then I'll have another cocktail as soon as I get there. And so what happens is it's impossible for them to be vulnerable because even if they're successful socially, they'll attribute their credit to the alcohol. Mm-hmm. So I didn't fuck that one up, but I had a couple of drinks. So I was a little loose. I felt good about it. Right. And so now there's still no confidence in themselves that like they were actually capable of just interacting with people. Mm-hmm. And so you have to, to be vulnerable just from a behavioral point of view, you have to identify what those behaviors are. And for most of us, alcohol is a big one. Distraction is a big one. So mm-hmm. people will say, I, I engage socially or, um, but I was, you know, I looked at my phone a lot. Right. Like most of us, we walk into a room, we don't know anyone, we go, right. We just, oh, yeah. we look at our phone, right. Because it's a safety way of saying, I don't, I don't worry about people not knowing me in here. Cause look, I'm super involved right now with somebody. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's just a way of us tolerating it. So you have to, people have to remove those things. And only then when they can say, I showed up, I actually didn't even have a cocktail, a cocktail hour. And that felt weird. Cause I was the odd one out. Right. But I wanted to be, I wanted to be there and I'm going to do that for five times, 10 times, 20 times. And once I can do that without my anxiety hitting the roof every single time, then I'll have a cocktail. Then I'll start having a cocktail when I go out. But right now, every time I go, <clears throat> I know the cocktail is, is managing my anxiety and it never, it robs me of confidence. Mm-hmm. Because after the fact, I think I had to have that cocktail. Right. Right. And the next time they go to the bar and they don't have that cocktail, they're like, oh, shit. Like, what do I do? Right. <laughs> right. So the same with the driving. The driving is, you know, people using that example would drive at specific times when they believe it's less busy or they would drive at, you know, they wouldn't drive at night or they wouldn't drive. So if they don't get an accident, you can't say, see, they'll say, yeah, but I, I may I followed all these rules. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm OK, not just because I'm OK. Definitely. Yeah. No, like, like it, it's, it's a matter of like, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone too. Right. Cause like, it's comfortable to go out right. with like the drink and it's comfortable to like, like drive at the same time, but it's like, you know, you're making those things comfortable, but you know, deep down that, you know, it's, it's comfortable because you have crutches and, and to kind of go out with right. that crutch is, is so huge for, for living anxiety free. Right. And that's where we get our confidence from, right? Like we, that really is. And we, we know that growth comes through stress, right? Like mm-hmm. physically in the athletic world, like people don't, people don't say like, dude, I'm lifting, I'm, I'm putting up on bench, you know, 300 pounds. And they go, what? And they go, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I got two spotters that are helping me, but you know, right. not, you know, you, you, you can't get to claim that you did it. Right. Right. Um, right. But also when you exercise, um, which, you know, I'm not great at, but when you exercise and if you're into exercise, that pain that people that are successful at exercising, that pain that you feel is an indication of like growth, mm-hmm. but emotionally that pain is an indication of failure and we need to see it differently. We need to be able to see that because I'm anxious doesn't mean I'm fucking this up. It just means I'm anxious and that the more times I do this, just like lifting a dumbbell, it gets lighter and lighter and lighter until I have to increase the weight to get the same workout. And so that's kind of the analogy we use when people have to do things to challenge their distress. 
Yeah, definitely. And I love that so much because I actually just had wrote a social media post about this the other day. Like there's a difference between distress and eustress, right? Like like right. the stress that's gonna help you to grow because you know, you know we know the analogy of cold only becomes diamond through pressure, right? And right. so but then there's distress where, you know, it's just the ones that bogs you down and gets to us. So, you know, like how like exercise I think is an awesome example. And you, you hit a like really good nerve with me because that's, you know, one way where I found like stress relief is when I'm like, yeah, like I'm stressed in this time, but I'm managing and it feels good. So right. when it comes to like the more like mental game, like when people are out in the mental gym, so to say, like right. how can someone identify saying like, okay, like, you know, this is good stress or, or, oh man, like this is like bad stress. If you, if you look at it that way, I'm not, I'm not sure yeah. how you perceive I that. I don't, but. I don't look at it that way from a stress. I mean, when people tell me they're stressed, I, I often ask them what they mean. And, and does that mean they're, um, there's a specific event in their life that they're trying to get over and, you know, when people feel stressed, that's when we offer um, coping because you just have mm. to cope with the event and then you're done. But in, coping is not healthy for anxiety. Coping actually maintains anxiety because coping is those crutches. Coping is those. And it serves a purpose. And it's not so anybody listening, this is not to say you're doing it wrong. You're probably doing the best way you can. Right. Because when I talk about it like this, people are like uh, every therapist I've ever told me to create a list of coping skills and then implement those when I'm anxious. Except drinking is coping, right? Yeah. Driving at night is coping if you're afraid of traffic. Like these things are coping. Um, they just won't help you overcome your anxiety. And so mm -hmm. what I tell people when they're feeling physiological distress or even mental distress is one, is it predictable? Most people say mm -hmm. like I went out last night and like I got to the, the social thing and my anxiety, my heart started beating. And I'm like, yeah. You have an anxiety disorder. Why is that a surprise? That's been happening for the last five years. Every Friday night that you ever tried to go out. Yet this weekend, you just thought it would be better, right? And so <laughs> once we can identify it as like predictable, people can start saying what I say when I still experience anxiety. I can say, oh, here it is. Oh, look at that. Here it is. Ooh, whew, it's coming. This sucks. This is miserable, mm -hmm. right? But it'll go away. Like I'm not going to change my behavior because of it. So let's mm. just say, you know, before we got on this call, for some reason, my body just said, boom, here's some anxiety, feel it. I get mm. to decide, do I cancel, reschedule, which would be coping? Mm. Or do I say, hello, there you are. Come on, anxiety, I'm about to make the call. Come hang. Because what happens when you don't respond to it, your parasympathetic nervous system kicks in because it acknowledges that there's no danger. And so it mm. says, let's, 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 let's reserve these resources, you know, cause there's a ton of resources that go into making someone into that fight or flight response, which is what we call anxiety. Right. Wow. That's, that's a really good point because I think a lot of people too, they'll, they'll see like stress relief and anxiety relief and they'll interpret it as being stress free. But, but your example there is saying like, no, the stress is going to be there. It's how you respond to it that essentially right. is going to determine like how you manage the anxiety. So like anyone who's listening right now who has the, the notion it was like stress, like if you want to reduce your stress, you're not going to eliminate it completely. It's all about like how you respond. So like, I'm assuming it's just the same thing. Like you said, just keep practicing. Like when you, when you feel the stress, like being able to just notice it. And, and, and I love the point on the predictability too, because I'm a firm believer of like right. when something's predictable, you can manage it. So right. like, does it just take practice like every single day when someone's just stressed, like to, to be able to respond better as opposed to like becoming like a, a victim to, well, I think, yeah, exactly. We have to, we have to identify the things that create 
you know, so some people might say it's conflict. Like when people put me on the spot, I feel it happening, right? Uh, for mm -hmm. many others, it's, it's the perception of incompetence. It's if I do something that, you know, whether that's dropping my phone, I feel incompetent in a group of people or I get asked a question that I can't answer. These are the triggers to my anxiety. And so knowing that, we can say when I drop my phone and my face turns red and people turn around and look at me weird, I can go, that's really uncomfortable, as it should be. But it's not dangerous. Like, it doesn't mean anything. Mm. And what many people do is they now respond differently. So they think, because I responded with anxiety, I must be incompetent. I must be a failure. I must be, right? And we start like fulfilling those shaming statements that, that most of us have. So, so I mean, as long as you are breathing, your body is always going to be checking. Are we in danger right now? Are we in danger? Your brain is just, that's what it does. Danger, danger, danger. And when we go, ooh, maybe, maybe, it goes, okay, here's a little, here's an increase in heart rate <laughs> to get the blood flowing, right? Here, we'll, here's your gut. We'll turn off your digestive system because you got to process this danger. And that's why we know exposure therapy works because your body also has to conserve energy. So once we prove just by behaving that we're not in danger, because I'm not running away, I'm not employing a safety behavior, I'm not getting reassurance, um, the brain says, oh, well, we don't need to react that way. But every time you leave a scary situation, the brain says, whew, we made it out of there. So, But next mm -hmm. time you go into that situation, it responds the way it thinks it should. Right. As if something bad's about to happen. Absolutely. And and it's something that served, you know, our ancestors back in the day when there was, you know, woolly mammoths and saber tooth tigers and they literally had like real danger of whether or not they were gonna live in these situations. But nowadays, like, you know, like someone rejecting you at the bar is not gonna kill you. <laughs> but our brain operates right. in the same way. So I think it's really cool that you brought it up. It feels point. really, really bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when we stick our head out of the cave and, and the, the bush next to the, the, the cave rustles a little bit, we are primed to our body's supposed to activate and be ready and then pay attention. And right. uh, even when you see, for many, even when a little bunny hops out from that, behind that bush, uh, we still, we still, the next day, we still have to manage it as if it's uncertain because it might, it might be the saber tooth tiger. Right. Mm -hmm. And so uncertainty drives anxiety appropriately. It's just right now we're not actually at risk of dying. It's, it's about social death or, or, you know, feeling bad. And so we've, and because I think we've created a culture where, you know, there's so much information and talking about, um, not being stressed and managing stress and a hundred mm -hmm. effective ways to manage stress is that we've, because we're trying to avoid that at all costs, we've really lost our ability to tolerate any yucky feelings yeah. because we think that the goal of life and success and all those things are, 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 um, you know, graded by the lack of stress. But anybody mm -hmm. that's ever had with anxiety in their life knows that I can plop you on a beach with a beer in paradise and your brain will come up with something. Yeah, 100 percent. Right? Yeah, yeah. It, it'll never go away. It'll, it's always looking for what's wrong and because it's meant to make you survive. It's not meant to make you happy. Right. Right. right exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think one point there was really cool. It's like when we avoid the things that stress it out, when we avoid the data, like this whole concept of avoidance, it actually ends up making us much more stressed. And I think one 
point or, or one kind of like way that we kind of promote avoidance in our culture is, you know, when someone comes up to me, like, for example, and they're like, hey, man, like, I'm just so stressed. I got all this crap going on. Like, I'm just really, really stressed right now. The default response by society is saying, oh, you know, don't worry about it, man. Like, it's okay. Like, so, so my question to you is like, like, one, is that a useful response? And two, if not, how do we respond in a way to the people we care about that are stressed in a way that's going to like serve them as opposed to kind of like dragging them down that avoidance path of like the first option? Oh, yeah. Well, one, we know that people generally don't listen to advice. And so people that complain about their stress with their job or their relationships, they remain in those relationships. They stay in those jobs or they go right back to they leave that relationship and meet the exact same relationship. Um, So. You know, even as a therapist, I don't even feel like my job is to give advice. And I certainly don't do that in my personal life because people just want to be heard. So when I Mm. when people say, oh, my day was terrible, I'm so stressed, I go, sounds like a rough day. You know, like just I just give them empathy like and then, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was a rough day. You know, I work 12 hours and I don't get any sleep. Yeah, you're tired. You don't sleep. I don't sleep. Right. And they keep giving it to you because I know what happens if I say, well, you know, you're 36 and you're still gaming and and maybe if you didn't do that at the end of your day you might get more right they're not going to change that right or they're not, i can't suggest that they eat some broccoli and they're going to go you're a genius i am you know i'm going to go eat healthy and, <laughs> and you know no or you know sarah is not treating me well or i think she's you know uh you know she keeps blocking my calls and hanging out with other people or bill is a real you know and you go, wow, yeah, I would leave him. No one should talk to you that way. And then next week you see the Instagram post, like, love of my life with Bill. And you're like, what? I just gave yeah, you great right. advice about that, right? <laughs> so, you know, most of us are complaining about stress because we want to be validated that our lives are, like, important enough to be complex and challenging. Um, and But what I will say sometimes is, um, you know, I have some opinions about that if you'd like to hear it. Yeah, and people are much more open, acceptable to like, oh, sure, right? That'd be cool. Um, or I, you know, I'll just say, I, I'm often trying to help people identify patterns, you know? So I'll be like, mm. yeah, this is the 10th year in a row. You hated your job, but it's the same job you've had for 10 years in a row. Like, it, you mustn't hate it that much, <laughs> right? Or you're paralyzed by uncertainty to get another job because even, you know, we appreciate misery that's consistent. So, Right. That's how I would help people manage it. It's not, I wouldn't try and problem solve those things. I like that. I love that answer. And and to be honest, it's something that I think I, I definitely need to work on a little more because I love solving problems and I love helping people. But it's, yeah. so, it's so true to your point, right? Like people just, they want to be heard, man. And, and you know, if right. they want help, then they'll be like, hey, man, like I really need some help here. But for the most part, people just want to be heard. And I, I it's always a, a nice piece of humble pie that I get to eat sometimes when, uh, when I, when I'm told that thing, but I'm, I'm glad you brought that point up a hundred percent. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, most of us hang out with people that are probably about as intelligent or we, as we are and know about the same amount of information. I mean, we're all just kind of average people. And right. so it's un- unlikely that I've got this little well, I mean, you know, outside of the world of anxiety, because that's what I do. But like for general stuff where I go, well, have you thought about this? People are going to go, shit. Wow. <laughs> All right. They already right. know that. They just don't. They, you know, you can tell me that exercise is really helpful and drinking beer isn't that helpful and eating pizza isn't. That, I know that. I just don't right. want to change. I mean, I want to. I want to for some reasons, but I don't enough to make some changes. 
So, but I'd love mm. to complain about it, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. No, that makes sense. And hey, man, I I fall the same trap to that too. Like I'll be like, yeah, yeah, like I'll complain about it, but in the end of the day, I'm doing like the same thing over and over again. It's just like, eh, right. you know, maybe I'll change it tomorrow. So I totally get the feeling. But but for someone who like does want to change, let's just say someone's listening. They're like, man, like I'm ready to change. I'm ready to start right. that business. I'm ready to. Uh, you know, go out and get a relationship and stuff like for for very few people like that first step can be like so scary, you know, like right. like that that first time where they're going out and getting data and stuff. So right. what's like the push that people need to like if they're really looking for that push, like what's the push that people have to give themselves in order to take that first step to like you said before we started this thing, build momentum because momentum is is key in order to right. to pursue anything huge in life. Yeah, great question. I think, you know, sometimes it doesn't have to be a push. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people have the motivation, but they feel stuck. You know, the saying is, you know, analysis paralysis, right? Yeah. Like I overthink. And, and frankly, what a lot of people struggle with is waiting for the right time, the right moment and the right emotion. So we say, I'll, I'll do it when I feel like it, right? Or, um, you know, there's a hundred things I need to know before I start this business. And I've only got, you know, 89 of them right now. And I just, and people don't realize that them, and they've been waiting for those other 11 things for too long. And so learning that you starting anything, whether that's asking somebody out or starting a business or um, creating content or whatever it is, is about saying, I think this is good enough. And mm -hmm. um, I would, I, I know I would love it to be perfect, but I've been pursuing that for a long time without pro pro producing anything. I've, I haven't done anything. Mm -hmm. And so many people that are perfectionistic avoid making the wrong decision by not deciding at all. Right. And so helping people realize that, like, how can you work towards um, not having it perfect, but like enough, like this is good enough. Um, I've got enough money to get this going. Right. I've got enough money to take this person out for a coffee. So I'm going for it. Right. I don't have to take right. them out for a super fancy meal. Um, and so I think recognizing then patterns too, like what have I been telling myself and for how long that I'm waiting for this next thing? Or do I make a lot of excuses and do I find that I come up with a re you know, everyone else is responsible for me not being successful, you know, like, mm -hmm. well, I loaned my brother money and he never gave it back to me and the weather changed. And then, you know, I, I need to be able to not work this job before I start that job. So, and then some people just have much too, they just have inaccurate ideas of the starting point. Mm. And so I would ask, I would encourage people to ask themselves, like, what do I think is the starting point? And then can that be chopped into a hundred pieces? And then can I just do one of those pieces? And right. those pieces will add up to the starting point or the, the perceived starting point. But that's how momentum is built. It's when we when people talk about intention and positive thinking, that doesn't change anything. What changes mm -hmm. anything is behavior and like scheduling things in and saying, regardless of how I feel tomorrow, I'm filing my um, I'm filing my business name with the state. I'm going to be an LLC, regardless of how I feel or how hectic or what the weather is or whether my girlfriend or wife or husband yells at me. I'm doing that tomorrow. And then the next day I'm going to get a logo. I'm going to I'm going to put it out like that's it, regardless of how I feel. And and then I'm going to make it I'm going to get five logos. I'm going to make a decision on one. So it might be the worst logo in the world. But to start, I'm going to get one out of those five. And um, and you have to start somewhere because 
most people that feel stuck, they know that we blink and six months goes by and then a year goes by and then two years go by and they're five years going, man, I had a really cool idea once that I mm. keep waiting to like implement. Yeah, definitely. Oh man, I got the chills when you were saying that because it's like like one one of the quotes that that reminds me of is like it's so much better to run a thousand miles in the wrong direction than to just stay still, right? Yeah. Because like you learn along the way, and and I love how you said like you know all you got to do is just do the thing even though you don't feel like it. Because think about it like this: like like if we felt like if we did everything when we felt like it we would never basically do anything like there's stuff that we do even though we don't feel like it we brush our teeth and i bet people don't feel like doing it you know but but in the end of the day like that is what sets people apart like if you look at any successful person they got to where they were because they did things when they didn't feel like it and it's just it's it's just absolutely just a matter of just habit and consistency and skill now along that journey too when someone takes it like there's going to be failure along the way. Like there's just no doubt about it. And how do you like, what do you tell to someone in order to like deal with failure? Let's just say like, for example, someone has like the go for something, you know, a hundred times. Like, I don't know, like, like Sylvester Stallone, like for example, how he was right. like rejected with Rocky, like, I don't know, like hundreds and hundreds of times. And, but he kept going. Like, so how do you help someone who's going on a journey that's going to be similar like that deal with the anxiety of failure? Because they might say, Hey, like, you know, I'm looking for data points and all of these a hundred times I went to, it's all failure, but they're still right. on the right path. So, so what do you tell someone in that kind of situation? Um, who, who I, wants yeah, to go I think that? you have to like redefine what failure is, right? Is failure that like, if I have a goal that I'm going to create a business this weekend and by next year at this time, uh, I'm going to be able to sell that business for $5 million. Mm-hmm. So I've got a time on the goal. I've got a price that I think, and if I don't meet those things, it failed. Right. Mm-hmm. So it might feel like a failure if I sold it for three million dollars or it might feel like a failure if I sold it for five million dollars in three years. Right. Mm-hmm. Objectively, other people would go, no, 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 that's not a failure. <laughs> that's right. Good. Right. Um, so but when we shrink that down to not such lofty ideas, we have to redefine what like. It's so cliche, but, you know, it everything is about the journey. Right. The process. Mm-hmm. And. um when you're interested in pursuing a relationship or pursuing a job or pursuing a field or pursuing a business, is that the pursuit of that doesn't really matter. You just want the money and you figured I might be able to, uh, that might be a path for me getting some money. You're not going to be able to get there. If you, if you're really lucky and you get there, that's amazing. But the second you snag, you hit a snag, you will quit. And it's not because, because you are never in it for the process. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you redefine failure to like failure is me not like living a quality of life that I enjoy, which includes being creative, which includes movement, which includes momentum, which includes experiences, then then it's really hard to fail as long as I'm doing something right. Mm -hmm. And so if you are pitching an idea and you need investors, you have to have realistic expectations that. 99% 99% of the people you're pitching into will not invest. Does that mean you failed? Well, no, not if your goals are that you're going to learn something from each experience, that you're still moving forward, that you're enjoying what you're doing. And so, but that comes back to our previous conversation about when do I start? Well, 
if you need the money to live, well, then maybe you don't start that. You don't have to quit your other job or save $100,000 to do that. You do that on the weekends while you're doing the other job so that mm-hmm. you are free to make those decisions and engage in those things and, and do all those things. So, um, so I think, you know, I, I'm just, I don't really believe in like this huge, like you got this man, you know, you keep working. And I mean, I believe in that. And I think that stuff feels really good to us. But like if people have to reflect on their future, I think it's not about lifting us up when we feel like we fail. I think we can just change the definition of what that means, because I would much rather just personally have an empty bank account and have experiences than yes. than and, and, and do things that I go. I was actually just, you know, on my way home today talking to a really good friend of mine and, and he's writing a book and and I'm in the process of writing a book. And oh, nice. And and we just talk about like. It's not about like making money on the book. It's about us saying, I took a shot at writing a book and I wrote a book. Nobody read it. Um, it wasn't very successful. Uh, but, but if you define, if, if my goal was to be a successful author, then even completing the book still feels like a failure. Wow. That's going to take hours and hours and hours of my life. And, and there's very little outcome that it's going to feel successful. But if, failure to me is like i'm not going to do something that feels cool or inspirational or you know provides me with something to work towards well then doing something just means i'm achieving something right so right uh, i don't know if that really answered it but uh, no 100 100 percent answer my question and it's so cool because like that is like a key tenant of fulfillment that i that you know i hear from people who are fulfilled like yourself it's like it's literally about the process. It's not about like the, the destination because even if you know you're you're in it for the money and, and you let's just say you do go through over forty years but you hated that thing, like congratulations, you just spent forty years doing something you absolutely hate for money, right. which, you know, will lead to yes, pleasure. I mean, you know, people like money, but at the end of the day, it's like it's more about the experience and like that's what we want. We want the experience. We want the the feeling, right? Like money will give us a feeling for the short term, but it's about like right. did we have fun on that process? And so I absolutely and love that's, that. And you know, I, I haven't really formulated this, but I think of like I'm sure anyone listening to this that did not grow up with privilege or like the fuck is this guy talking about right because if you don't grow up with money if you don't grow up with with safety and security from a financial point of view money is the definition of success because i didn't grow up with any i'm an immigrant to this country i did not grow up with money my parents were quite Mm -hmm. poor um they cleaned apartments they for a living um and and so when you when you're a kid that grows up without money success is wearing the new jordans you save yeah. all day for those, right? And then once you're an adult with a little bit of money, you don't put that away into a Roth IRA or a 401k. You buy a watch that makes you look like you're balling, right? Because right. you have to, you're working to feel that, right? So I can imagine with people listening to this, and I say, it's not about the money. It's, you know, I'm not saying that from a place of having lots of money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at all. It's, it's because I've done, I was, fortunate enough to to get to college and to go to graduate school and to spend a lot of time in school to get a good job and i've created a business that is very successful and i make more money now than i ever thought that i would but i've also learned that so i've been able to buy the home of my dreams and it was really cool and then it was just a house and then i was able to buy the cars that i wanted and they were sick and then they were just cars right Right. (laughs) and and so 
so then, so what do I wake up for anymore? Right. And it's, it's the journey it's the process. But when you don't have it, you feel like that is what you need. And so it, it makes sense to me that people feel like they're failing if they're not able to get that. But people that grow up with lots of money, because, you know, once you're educated, you start being around those privileged people. And the difference is, is they make big salaries and they just save it. And they're like, yeah. I'm okay living in a small house because I'm not proving any, you know, they don't think this through. They're not saying this out loud, but they're not proving anything to anyone else. And when you grow up without money, you're proving everything to yourself all the time, right? Like, mm -hmm. like if the boys from back in the day could see me now, right? Yeah. Like I'll never forget, like when I was having this house built that I live in, I walked in one day when the guys were doing the, um, we have a huge fireplace in our living room and the guys were rocking it. And two of the guys were putting the rock on it. I went to high school with. And they were like, oh, shit, this is your house. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was joking with them, like, dude, don't you guys steal anything? You know what I mean? And we hugged each right. other. And, um, but it was a really, like, moment of pride and a humbling and also kind of embarrassing. Um, mm. But for them, they thought, God, you've made it, right? But that quickly turns into just a house so fast. Like, right. you think that's what you need for your Instagram post or the car for your Instagram post or your face. But it ends up just being a house. And right. so, and, and like, that's not, that's not fulfilling Yeah. for me. It's not fulfilling. It's something else. What else is there? You know? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I, that was, that was a fucking awesome answer, by the way. And it like, <laughs> it literally like, like the, that's like the whole tenet of what this podcast is about. It's like, yeah. it is, is what's going to fulfill you at the end of the day. And I, you know, I, I, I do agree like that some people like it, it will be short-term fulfillment of like getting that like you know new pair of jordans or that watch or whatever because they didn't have it growing up and i understand and like that is great but like to your point it just becomes like a house after a while and like like how many times of like you know for me at least like i've had this many times where i set a goal i get the goal and like after two months i'm like wow that it you know right. so so but when you have like a process that you love every single day then like you win because even win or fail, you're having a good time and, and we're all chasing a feeling. We're not just chasing, you know, paper with deceased notables on it. We're, we're chasing right. the feeling that we're getting right. from it. So man, it's, Kevin, it's, that, not, yeah. it's not for everybody, you know, like my wife. So I just, you know, I just started like a totally separate random company. Just like, I mean, and even saying that makes it sound like I want to create a product and brand it and sell it. Right. So mm. last weekend I, I told her like, Oh, I got the license for the, you know, the, got the business license. I'm getting a logo made. Um, and she just said, why, why are you doing it? And I said, because that's just how my brain is. I don't know, you know, cause, because I'm also like, I have now two clinics in Portland, you know, I've got 15 staff. I, you know, just, I public do a lot of like, I've got a lot going on. I've got two children and, and it's just like, Cause that's just what my brain does. I don't know how not to do that. And she goes, okay, good luck. <laughs> right. Because for her, you know, she has a, she has a full-time job. She's super educated. And, and for her, she's just like, I come home and that's it. Like I am fulfilled. And right. for me, it's not that I'm unhappy, but I'm hungry. I'm always hungry. Mm -hmm. Right. And I just like, I want more. And it's not about more monetarily, which would be really cool, but it's, it's more just because, again, I could win the lottery tomorrow and I'm not just going to relax. I just don't know how to do that, you know? Right, exactly. Because so, the yeah. pursuit of something is what fulfills you. Right, right. Yeah.
Exactly. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great, yeah. man, dude. I can keep talking with you for for hours, <laughs> but but for the sake for the sake of the listeners here, yeah, and yeah. and I know they got busy lives. Uh, we're we're coming to the tail end here, and before I ask my last question, which which you did already answer, but I like to ask anyways. Um, before I ask that question, uh, where can our listeners find you if they're more interested in in learning more about you, and then maybe you know if they're they're in the Portland area and they're interested in your services, where where are the places that they can find yeah. you on the uh, on the World Wide Web? So uh, my clinic's called Northwest Anxiety Institute, NW Anxiety Institute. We're in Portland, Oregon. Um, and then I am on Instagram at Mr. Kevin Ashworth. And so I post I post pretty regularly on there as much as I can. And then I have a YouTube channel, uh, which is Fighting Fear with Kevin Ashworth. And then our, um, Northwest, our clinic has a Facebook page, Northwest Anxiety Institute. And so that's where people can check me out and, and uh kind of check out more content that I put up and um, and then I'll link, you know, the podcast to there as well and people can check it out. Awesome. I appreciate that. And guys, like if you, if I'm sure you love this conversation as much as I did, if you're, if you're interested in, in, you know, learning more about how to battle your anxiety and, and even just to live a more fulfilled life, Kevin's content and Kevin himself is, is really is just a great, great, uh, great, great teacher for that. So, so I totally recommend you dive into his world, watch his content. And then if you're in the Portland area and, and you're really going through some shit right now, I really think, I really think he's the guy. I mean, if I, if I was in Portland and I had a massive anxiety disorder, he'd be the first person I'd be going to. So totally recommend that. And so from my, Oh, of course. And so for my last question here, Kevin, and you already answered this, but, but repetition is the mother of all skill. What does fulfillment mean to you and what fulfills you in life? Yes. I, I think if I had to sum it up, it would be hunger, right? Fulfillment for mm. me is the, is, um, pursuit of, 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 of knowledge and feeling hungry just to improve. And so whether that's, you know, improving my ability as a father or a clinician or as a speaker or, uh, I just don't accept that I'm there yet and not in a non-confident kind of way, but just in a realistic way of like, there's always more work to be done. And and I love listening to podcasts and reading books and doing as much as I can just to learn from other people. So hunger, I would say, is fulfillment for me. I love that. Kevin, you're awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Really My appreciate pleasure. it. Thank you. This was awesome. Yes. This was an awesome conversation, man. I'm definitely going to have a lot of fun re-listening to this one, and I'm sure that you guys did too. So make sure to check out Kevin's World, and thank you so much again for listening to the Art of Fulfillment podcast. You can find us at Instagram at Meditation for Millennials. You can find me on Instagram at Joe Corsione. Feel free to reach out with any questions, and always remember, guys, live the most fulfilled life you can. Have a great rest of your day, and take care.